This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Don't miss Pat and Stu. Even after all he's done, after all he does, after all he can do, just 15% of people say they've been personally benefited from Obamacare. <laughs> you know, 15% of you miserable ingrates! You know, I wonder, I, I don't... 15! I don't think he's explained it well enough. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. I'm Jackie. I bring years of experience in law, policy, and energy to provide an independent view for solutions that bring America greater energy security. I want you to know from the outset, this show is neither a subsidiary of nor a paid advertisement for any energy corporation. All opinions expressed are my own. We're talking with Jack Ekstrom, and he is the VP of Corporate and Government Relations for Whiting Petroleum Corporation of Denver, Colorado. And we're talking about regulations by the BLM concerning flaring of natural gas, something that you'll see on the side of the highway sometimes when you go by, uh, uh, you know, oil-producing regions, Texas certainly, and even uh, up in Ohio, uh, in my home state sometimes. Um, and now we're going to move on to methane regs because you definitely wanted to talk to me about methane, and you said you had some interesting thoughts about the history, um, you know, of, of methane regulation. People need to know. I mean, methane is like the primary component of natural gas. Uh, when you're talking methane, you're talking natural gas for sure. And That's exactly right. So um, the feds are going after it. So what's, what's the story? Well, in these natural gas operations that we have and in crude oil tanks, in, in all of these facilities you will have um, what's called fugitive gas emissions because there's, there's almost no such thing as a completely zero emissions facility. If, if you have bolts that screw in to, um, uh, to assemble, let's say, a tank battery, because it's threaded, minor amounts of gas are going to escape through those threads. In addition, you will have different kinds of power surges and, and uh, what's called a natural gas kick, where you hit a particularly rich pocket of gas, or a gas uh, facility becomes full, and you need a pressure relief. It's called a thief hatch that allows the um, uh, the pressure to be relieved and will allow minute amounts of methane to escape. Well, the EPA has been going to crude oil facilities and natural gas facilities with what's called a FLIR camera which is an infrared camera attempting to see if there are methane leaks. Well, their FLIR cameras do not measure quantities, and you're allowed a certain amount of what's called um, a fugitive emissions. They're emissions that cannot be captured because the amounts are so small. So they have created these new regulations to try to lock down methane emissions and to give your listeners an idea of what this is like, Jackie, I'd like to I'd like to give you a little something here that about what methane is like on this planet of ours. The Earth produces 300 million tons of methane 
annually from marshes and and uh, uh, etc. Those kinds of natural seeps. Cows and and other farm animals produce another 127 million tons, uh, just commonly called flatulence. Right. And landfills uh, deliver another 44 million tons into the atmosphere. Now that's approaching 500 million tons annually. The total emissions from all oil and gas activities across the United States is approximately 8 million tons. Mm, wow. So it's 8 million versus 500 million from uh, natural occurring sources of methane. So are they going after those sources? Well, <laughs> no. Um, they have chosen instead to go after this rather minuscule amount of, of uh, fugitive emissions or, or small leaks from oil and gas facilities across the country. In fact, they are pursuing, dramatically pursuing uh, emissions in North Dakota, which, by the way, is a state that is in attainment of air regulations um, of EPA regulations as they stand. It's not like Colorado, which is in non-attainment because of the population density and the, the mm -hmm. emissions from, from vehicles and so forth. They're going after this small amount. I think it's because they can and because they're philosophically opposed to the development of oil and gas in this country, not because the emissions are doing any kind of material damage to the environment. Well, let me stop you for a second, Jack, because I think it's worth repeating this point that you just made to put this into context, because most people have heard about methane regulation, and so automatically they think methane equals bad, methane equals dangerous, as if it's, it's not a natural part of the environment. I think I just heard you say that when you combine the naturally occurring methane from nature, you know, decomposing whatever swamps, yes. whatever it is, and then you take animals, whether it's livestock or whatever it is, and humans. the natural, and humans, the natural methane that, that all living creatures produce, and then you also threw in landfills. Uh, put all that together around the earth, and you said 500 million tons of methane uh, annually. 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 Versus oil and gas production in this country emitting 8 million annually. So we're talking about Mother Nature at about 500 million tons annually versus oil and gas in this country, 8 million tons annually. And yet the EPA considers this something to go after in a way that is going to destroy jobs and that is going to harm this country economically. And so, uh, you know, we have to take this very seriously, especially in light of the fact that oil and gas uh, or actually, you know, particularly natural gas being put into the energy um, supply in greater um, uh, percentages due to fracking has already brought this country down to its lowest emissions in 20 years. I wrote, if you haven't seen this, Jack, you should really check it out. I wrote an op-ed in Forbes, Forbes.com, and it's called Fracking is Our Clean Power Plan. Fracking is our clean power plan. And I make this very argument that because of fracking, because natural gas is so cheap and plentiful, 
We now have lower emissions than we've had, I guess, since about the 1980s from the numbers that I was looking at before. They're down about 80 percent. Yeah. And down as, as production has risen dramatically, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, have declined by 80 percent since the 80s. And do you and know that at the same time? And that's because of natural gas. That's exactly right. No question. And, and at the same time, the U.S. economy itself has grown by about 50 percent over that amount of time, and yet our emissions are way down, way, way, way down. So development and expansion of economic activity does not equal more emissions. And this is the, the message we have to send and drive home to everyone. And I can't believe, Jack, what the other side is getting by with, with, with their talking points for why we need more regulation and need to give more power to the federal government, to the EPA, to the BLM. They get by with this, Jack. And so we, what are we going to do to stop this and to get this message pushed out? I know, you, you know you're, you're in the uh, business of communications and have been throughout your life. What's it going to take to win just in Colorado? Well, that's, that's a good question. I, you know, you, you feel like you have brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah. um, but we have, we have truth and right on our side. Here's a a quote from uh, uh, Emeritus Professor Fred Singer from the University of Virginia. It's a direct quote. The proposed EPA regs are unscientific and will have no perceptible effect on global climate. They constitute a complete waste of resources and put a heavy economic burden on the energy industry with all costs, like a tax, passed along to consumers who can least afford them. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. We have to continue to tell that story. We have to appear on shows like uh, Jackie Daly. Uh, we have to continue to uh, tell the public, and we are on the ground every day in Colorado with uh, Citizens for Responsible Energy Development telling the story, actually going door to door. We've been doing this every day since the last election, and we are having – uh, I think, tremendous success. But the other side is incredibly well-funded. Uh, they, are, they are religious zealots about this particular issue, and they do not have any interest in, in the facts or in the economic arguments uh, that we pose. Um, we have uh, jobs on our side. We have wealth creation on our side. But... To them, this is—it's all about saving Spaceship Earth, regardless of of the facts that that deny the damage that's being done. We're talking with Jack Ekstrom, and he is the VP of Corporate and Government Relations for Whiting Petroleum Corporation out of Denver, Colorado. Well, Jack, I'm going to give you some facts and give the listeners some facts just to think about at least where natural gas is concerned. Um, that I got from the American Petroleum Institute's website today. First, they say, according to their numbers, that emissions are down 83% from fracked wells since 2011. And then they explain that the industry has invested $90 billion in greenhouse gas mitigating technologies. That's more than any other industry and almost as much as the federal government. And then they quote Obama's Secretary of Energy. His name is Ernest Moniz. He says this, talking about emission reduction. About half of that progress we have made on greenhouse gas emissions is from the natural gas boom. 
what he's really saying is it's from fracking because without fracking we would have no natural gas boom and then it moves on to a berkeley professor mr muller he says quote both global warming and air pollution can be mitigated by the development and utilization of shale gas therefore environmentalists who oppose the development of shale gas and fracking are making a tragic mistake and jack you can probably remember that there was once a time when the Sierra Club and other environmental groups were pushing for the use of natural gas because it burns clean. And then, you know, somehow they figured out that might, maybe that's bad for fundraising. I don't know. And now they've turned their back on natural gas. Here is Sierra Club Executive Director Michael Brune. Quote, as we push to retire coal plants, we're going to work to make sure that we're not simultaneously switching to natural gas infrastructure. And we're going to be preventing new gas plants from being built wherever we can. Okay, Jack, I don't know. What are they going to run this country on? Well, that's what's a good going to question. Feed the grid? I, you know, that, that is a, obviously a secondary concern. I have uh, another quote for you from uh, the former assistant administrator of the EPA, um, uh, Winston Foster, or Winston Porter, I'm sorry. He says, greater use of natural gas in place of coal has driven carbon emissions from the nation's power plants to a nearly 30-year low. In fact, no country is reducing its greenhouse gas emissions faster than the U.S., an achievement driven by the shale gas revolution. We need more investment in natural gas production and infrastructure to encourage further use of clean-burning natural gas in the power sector. However, costly federal regulation of methane could be counterproductive to the goal of reducing U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So what you have is an advocacy for clean air, but a refusal to use the one source of energy that advances that cause the fastest. In fact, coal, or not coal, I'm sorry, solar and wind power both have a negative carbon footprint because it takes more carbon to produce them and to put them in place than it saves from being emitted into the atmosphere. Now that so, I did not know, but Jack, if, if you if you see if you run across research on that, I would love it if you would email it to me, and I will I will share it uh, with I, folks. I will get it to you. Okay, that would be amazing because I tell you I'm, I'm not anti anything in terms of energy. I'm certainly. I think that anyone who wants to pay, you know, a lot of money to have solar panels in their house should do so. And all of that. Sure. You think it's cool? I think you should have it. I, I wouldn't mind having it. Um, more power is good. There's no such thing as bad power, as far as I'm concerned. But of course, the the issue for people in D.C. is achieving the goals. You know, whether it's clean air, clean water, more jobs, dare I say, or, or, or other goals. Uh, so. You know, as you're the point being that uh, commercial scale solar probably doesn't meet any of those goals. Um, But in any event, um, very good. We've talked about methane uh, emissions, and I hope that people will uh, take the time to read my op-ed in Forbes. Fracking is our clean power plan. Driving home this point about methane regs. And um, I will, Jack, give you a call again later in the year, I'm sure, certainly probably in August, when we figure out whether or not... um, whether or not the anti-frackers will be successful at getting a statewide ban on the ballot in Colorado. If it won, it would make it the fourth state in the union to have an outright fracking ban or moratorium. 
in addition to the states in the Northeast. And I have a, a map that you can check out that I put together with some researchers at my think tank, the National Center for Policy Analysis, ncpa.org forward slash frac map. And fracking has no K, by the way, frac map. And it shows the states with bans, the states with proposed bans, the states with draconian restrictions, federal lands, and then the greater than 500 local governments that have passed either fracking bans or hostile uh, reg uh, resolutions and restrictions. So I'm going to keep my eye on Colorado. And Jack, you'll be my go-to guy for reporting on what's going on. You'll be our man in Colorado reporting live, so or well, almost live. I, I look forward <laughs> to it, Jackie. I, I'd, I'd like to leave you and your listeners with one thought that's really critical. If we're going to live the lifestyle that we enjoy and that we believe that we're entitled to and that we can produce, somebody has to dig a hole. Right. You have to dig a hole to plant the crops. You have to dig a hole to plant the trees. You have to dig a hole to, to have the earth give up its resources so that we can use them to the benefit of mankind. If we don't dig the hole, we're going to be living in caves and hunting and gathering every single day and living like uh, our, our remotest ancestors lived. And I don't think many of us want to go back to that living in huts or living in caves. I'll bet even Tom Steyer and Al Gore don't want to live like that no matter what they say. That's my bet. Or their, their, uh, their devotees. So we've been talking with Jack Ekstrom. He's the VP of Corporate and Government Relations for Whiting Petroleum Corporation in Denver, Colorado. And he's been very generous with this time. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Jackie. I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Join us online at JackieDaly.com, on Facebook and on Twitter at Jackie Daly Show. And now, on demand, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on iTunes.com, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher.com. We'll be back. Jay Severin. I'll tell you what I think about, despite my history with Mitt Romney, despite what I think of him and everything else, I will tell you honestly, with my heart and soul, what I think about what he did this morning in calling a national press conference to attack Trump. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. listening to the Jackie Daly Show. Join us online, JackieDaly.com, on Facebook and on Twitter, at Jackie Daly Show. And now you can hear us on demand 24 hours a day on iTunes.com, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher.com. Listen, why are international foreign activist groups pouring money and time and energy and activists into the state of Ohio, my home state, and into the state of Colorado to fight the U.S. federal government. I'll tell you why. Because they don't like fossil fuels. They don't like oil. They don't like gas. They don't like coal. And we have seen, I've done many shows before, telling you about how foreign groups and individuals will pour money into this country to take on U.S. energy, probably because 
guess what? You know, foreign countries compete with U.S. energy, and it's easier to hide who you are and what you're doing uh, when the money comes in from out of the country. It's hard, it's hard to track, by the way, uh, in its totality. But listen, there's a group right now out of the U.K. I mean, this, this, is, the, this is the group du jour. They're not the only one who are coming into my home state and creating what look like local anti-fracking movements, right? The keep it in the ground movement. You've probably heard of this thing. Kind of like the divestment movement. You've heard me talk about that. Well, what they do is they come in and they try to create the facade that the local people really, really don't want the jobs in the industry and the tax revenue and the energy that comes from fracking or hydraulic fracturing. want to see a grassroots movement that's what they're trying to emulate it's really a, an astroturf movement in washington dc you call it astroturf because it's not really grass and it's not really grassroots and it, it is a movement but it's certainly not homegrown but they put their name underneath of or behind locally organized groups who agree to partner up apparently and try to make it seem like it's you know the little man there in ohio taking on the blm and don't get me wrong I'm okay with taking on the federal government. You know, part of me says cheer them on if what they'd want to do is something constructive. Um, I'm always talking about how we have too much regulation in this country and it's strangling not just the energy sector, but all sectors. But listen, I have a friend up in Ohio. Her name is Jackie Stewart. She works for Energy In-Depth Ohio, and she's sort of like the resident expert on this phenomenon of outside money pouring into their state to try to change policy and change public opinion in Ohio. And she's been on the show before to talk about this very issue. Now we have a new chapter. And so rejoining us again to tell us the latest of what's going on with foreign money pouring in is Jackie Stewart. So welcome back to the show, Jackie. Thank you for having me, Jackie. It's great to be back on your show. Absolutely. Well, I read your two latest pieces in Energy in Depth uh, online with great interest. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, this was, um, is, is the keep it in the ground movement something new for the state of Ohio? Because I think I've only heard of it in Washington, D.C. I don't remember, I don't, well, I haven't lived in Ohio in a long time, Jackie. But, um, but you know, when, when did these people get there and what prompted this? Well, in, in Ohio specifically, it really started with the Bureau of Land Management um, opening up uh, the Wayne National Forest, which is managed by the Bureau of Land Management for leasing. Um, this was a debate that took place a couple years ago, and the Wayne National Forest at that time, um, a few years back, conducted an environmental review, said, oh, we're good to lease, go ahead, no problem, and then all of a sudden we had this tremendous amount of gridlock. So the Bureau of Land Management essentially said, okay, well, we got to look at this again, and there's a lot of public unrest about hydraulic fracturing, so we need to have public meetings, and um, a lot of this really spearheaded off of the new rules regarding drilling on federal lands that was passed um, just about a year and a half ago. Um, so what happened was 
this group, uh, Keep It In The Ground movement, um, all kind of showed up out of nowhere. And um, when you when you look on our website, you can see that all we, we started noticing shirts that would say, Keep It In The Ground, and my um, colleagues in Colorado and I, but we, we try we track these things nationally because none of this none of these antics are new. None of these people are new. Um, most of them started in New York and Pennsylvania and they've moved all over the country. Um, but but this movement was very, very different than anything we'd seen before and we couldn't really figure out why. So we started looking into it and turns out that the keeping in the ground movement was, believe it or not, started by the Guardian newspaper out of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And when we started digging into this a little bit further, we found that the Keeping in the Ground movement, um, again, started by a newspaper in the United Kingdom, um, actually was nothing more than the ongoing effort of the divestment from fossil fuel campaign, which, as you know, was a miserably failed effort um, by the anti-fossil fuel community. But the keep it, and what's so interesting about the Keep It in the Ground movement is it really didn't gain traction until they teamed up with Bernie Sanders. Um, that's when things got really interesting. And what happened was you started to see an influx of people coming in and, you know, trying to act like they were local. So we have, um, we've really exposed this group for what they are. Um, basically what they do is they find a local band fracking group and they come in they give them the tools they need to, to drive their messaging, drive their campaign, shirts, t-shirts, whatever. And in Ohio, what that meant was they actually took um, paper airplane public comments during a public meeting with the Bureau of Land Management and threw them at the federal employees of the Bureau of Land Management when they were having a public hearing on leasing in the Wayne National Forest. It was really quite incredible. Um, They closed down the meeting early. The um, police were involved. It It was really something to see. So that's what we're dealing with with these people right now. Okay, so let me just stop because I have so many thoughts, starting with... The Guardian is a newspaper for crying out loud. You know, I mean, how much staff and energy and teams and psyops and special operations units can a newspaper have? So that's your first thought. And if they do have it, do they really have enough to deploy overseas? I mean, that's my second thought. Like, that seems a little bit um, uh, hard to believe. And and the other thing is, isn't this the same? I, I didn't know you were going to say this, but I was going to, isn't this the same newspaper that worked to... Uh, boost Edward Snowden, the, the traitor, the treasonous traitor who basically turned over our secrets to the Russians, uh, who's now being housed by the Russians, you know, overseas. What I'm saying is this newspaper, I mean, look, we, we expect newspapers to have a, you know, to be biased and to have a viewpoint. And that's nothing new. Same is true around the world, I'm sure. But this particular paper seems to have a little bit of an edge to it and a lot of funding because these people mm-hmm. can't just come in from all over the world and move this money around and move these people around. That takes some serious organization. So what do we know, if anything, about the money behind this Guardian effort? Or do we? I, mean, I don't. We do. Um, 
it, it's it's really incredible. The um, so the Guardian is is, a, is funded by a, a for-profit company um, that's actually a trust. Um, the the Guardian's media group. So it's not just it, it's not just a funding of the paper itself. There's a media group that is funded through a collective effort of um, a trust fund, essentially that's been put together. Um, that's a private company, which is really it, which makes it a little bit challenging because, you know, if, if this was, a, for example, if, if this was a 501c3 um, in, in the United States or even a 501c4, we could see where their money is going. But because it's a for-profit company, um, we're not seeing how much money is actually going toward a lot of these efforts. Um, but we know that this is a major mission of of this for-profit, again, for-profit company that is quite literally telling citizens of the United States what to do with property, um, our property. And in Ohio's case, we're talking about personal property issues. Um, the, the case with, with the forest in question in Ohio is a debate that is a, the, there's a fight over personal property rights. Um, and so, it, you know, you have to kind of wonder what is going on when we have a foreign-based paper that's funded by a for-profit company that's telling the United States citizens what we can and cannot do with both our natural resources and our land. Um, so it's, it's appalling, truly, uh, well, what's you know, going on. It sounds like almost like a conspiracy theory, but it's totally legit. There are, you know, if you go on our website, you can track and see how this kind of all plays out. And it isn't just happening in Ohio. It's actually happening all over the country where this battle is taking place. So it's very real. We're talking with Jackie Stewart, and she writes for energyindepth.org. And she is an expert on the, you know, phony local movements to ban fracking that are springing up all over the country that are not really local. talking with Jackie Stewart and she writes for energyindepth.org and she is an expert on the you know phony local movements to ban fracking that are springing up all over the country that are not really local. So following that up um, I frequently talk about a report that came out of the U.S. Senate. Senator David Vitter put together I think it was a 92 page report from his committee back in the last of 2014 tracing the money inside the U.S. Green Movement. And what he found is that the sixth largest funder of the Green Movement was a foreign firm, foreign money, and it was coming in from a firm in Bermuda, which would then kick it to a foundation out in California, which would then kick it out to all of these groups that you hear about, the groups that you're running into on the ground who are doing all the activism. And so you have to stop and ask yourself, why would that be happening? Who has an interest in choking out U.S. energy production? Well, the answer would be our energy competitors around the world who are suffering right now and barely able to, well, they can't make their budgets because the price of oil is so low and the price of natural gas is so low. And that's in large part because of U.S. frackers and the, the technological revolution here. So, you know, I mean, seriously, what I'm thinking is 
you tell me about the Guardian doing this, and then I know about the Guardian also pushing out Edward Snowden's material. Um, and all of that seems very advantageous to Russia, right? If I had to like pick a country, I would say, well, that's who stands to gain um, from those two particular things the Guardian has done. But of course, when it comes to choking out fossil fuels, any OPEC country, uh, Russia not being one of them, by the way, um, would have an interest in funding these things and that they'd be crazy not to. It's not exactly illegal, right? I mean, we can't, we can't prove that anyone's committing a crime. Free speech is, is free speech for everyone, including if you um, are funded by a foreign entity in this country. So, uh, but we should all want to know who's behind this and what are they really after and what do they really mean? And so I, I see that you've got a quote in your last article from a journalist at The Guardian named Nabila Shabir. Nabila Shabir. Doesn't sound very British, but in any event, uh, describing the keep it in the ground movement and basically talking about how the Guardian decided or its, its leadership decided that they were going to make the climate change movement, quote, the biggest story in the world, the the biggest story in the world. It sounds like President Obama. You know, it's not terrorism and it's not war in the Middle East or it's not, you know, what could set off World War Three. For them, it's climate change. These people are all singing from the same sheet of music, apparently. So just define, for people who are not familiar with green activists, define for them what the ultimate goal, like what are the big goals of the Keep It in the Ground movement? What are they trying to do, really, in this country? What is well, they're, they're trying to annihilate fossil fuel development, period. Not, not just in the United States, um, internationally. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting because you, you think about what would happen. I, I was actually with a, an elected official recently, and they said something I thought was so profound. They said, um, you know, well, maybe we should just give what we want, what they want, what they're asking for. Just completely shut it down because then what? What are people going to do at that point? <laughs> they're not going to be able to heat their homes. They're not going to have electricity. And, and, and the irony is that is exactly what they're, they want to see happen. And, you know, and, and just another aside from how far these folks have come in, in such a short period of time, one of the groups that the Keep It in the Ground movement has partnered with, which is a group called 350.org, believe it or not, they were on the steps of the United States Capitol in 2010 just a handful of years ago, supporting natural gas. Um, because at that yeah. time, they were, you know, support, they thought they looked at natural gas as a renewable, um, as a clean, you know, alternative for the, the coal, I guess. Um, but now that, that's completely changed. And, and the same group who was on the steps of the United States Capitol in 2010 that was protesting and saying, oh, we'll get arrested for this cause, the, the same exact people are now willing to get arrested to ban the very thing that they were supporting just a couple of years ago, which is natural gas, um, because that's not good enough anymore. And just like everything in Washington, the goalposts continue to move to unrealistic um, in extremely expensive levels that, um, that, that, you know, impact every fabric of our society. And most importantly, you know who they impact the most, really, are low-income people right. in this country. Right. And it's just incredibly sad that there is an, a full frontal attack 
on middle class and, and low income folks in 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 this country. I mean, Harvard Business School put out a report that said the single largest driver to the U.S. economy's middle class has been hydraulic fracturing and wow. shale development. The I very same thing that these yeah. people want to annihilate, not just in the United States, but globally. And that's what that's what their mission is, plain and simple. We're talking with Jackie Stewart, and she writes for energyindepth.org. Yeah, so listen, I was working on Capitol Hill back in 20, 2009, 2010, when these groups were leading these protests on the Capitol Power Plant, which is just maybe two or three blocks uh, south of the, where I was working for the U.S. House. So the, the purpose then, they said, was to, as you say, transition from coal to natural gas in the Capitol Power Plant on the basis that we would then have far less greenhouse gas emissions. If that's important to you, then in fact that would be accomplished. That's what they claimed they cared about back then. But now, I mean, they have gone from, as you say, I mean, they got arrested they always get arrested, Jackie, because they love the photo op. They love that. You know, like they've been waiting since the Vietnam War to get arrested for something, you know, meaningful. And so finally they have a cause again. Um, so here they show up and they get crazy about this. And then only a few years later, the Sierra Club, as you point out in your article, who was down there leading the charge for natural gas, issues its Beyond Natural Gas campaign. And now they describe it as, quote, dirty, dangerous, and run amok. We're talking with Jackie Stewart, and she writes for energyindepth.org, and she is an expert on the, you know, phony local movements to ban fracking that are springing up all over the country that are not really local. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. I'm Jackie. I bring years of experience in law, policy, and energy to provide an independent view for solutions that bring America greater energy security. I want you to know from the outset, this show is neither a subsidiary of nor a paid advertisement for any energy corporation. All opinions expressed are my own. So to do a 180 like that in your, I mean, publicly, Would your activists not be confused? Like, wait a second, wasn't I holding a different sign three years ago that said the exact opposite? You have to wonder, when were these people telling the truth? Was it back then or is it now? But these two Mm -hmm. things cannot be cannot be true. How do people even trust these people? And they continue to make money. Um, I I think they're doing quite well financially, as far as I can tell. So, you know, what what is the if you if you know Uh, since you're working for, you know, covering energy. I mean, what is the view of energy companies of these groups? Because it used to be, I remember, you know, Chesapeake Energy, natural gas, huge natural gas producer, teamed up with the Sierra Club back in the day because they were so supportive. And now their friends appear to be stabbing them in the back. I mean, what do you think is, is the mood or the thought among the energy community about these types of campaigns? They have, well, to be they have to be uh, flabbergasted at this. Well, sure. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, we a we've been a victim of our own success from our, our capitalist market that uh, we've we've driven up sub- the supply and demand um, rules of, of economics have, have you know are, are quite frankly are putting a lot of these companies out of business just from that perspective alone. Um, you know, we it, it's a it's a tough tough environment to make money right now, 
But talk about kicking in the industry when they're down. I mean, this is these groups are just completely coming out of the woodwork. And to your point, they're extremely well funded. Um, and so it's 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 disgusting, really. I mean, they're it's the message is all over the place. For, for anyone that's really paying attention, you have to ask yourself what exactly you know is the end game for these folks. Um, how can you live in an environment that they're proposing from an economic perspective and just from a, you know, a, a, from a realistic perspective, um, particularly for those of us that live in the PJM market, which is where most of the manufacturing is. Um, that would be in your, you know, your Rust Belt region, your Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, West Virginia. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but the sun doesn't shine that much around here. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. I mean, I these are the realities that we face, and I think that you know, as operators are are, are really just kind of overwhelmed. Um, it's it's with what's going on right now. Um, the activist community is, um, like I said, they're, they're they're really just moving the goalposts every single day, and you know, and, and it's interesting because the, the fight. Or was in the the upstream side, right, in the drilling and hydraulic fracturing. But if you look closely, the new fight isn't as much on that end because more and more of these reports come out about groundwater contamination, methane, and greenhouse gas emissions showing again and again and again that we're doing this with the the, the industry is conducting their efforts in a responsible way. So they're saying, okay, this isn't really working for us. So what are we going to attack next? Well, that's pipelines. So how do we how do we bring the roles of supply and demand to you know a more fruitful place for the industry? We need infrastructure, right? Well, how can we stop that? We stop the pipelines. So in Ohio, for example, um, we are we had just last week a pipeline that was announced. Um, FERC is going to delay this pipeline because they're saying they need more environmental provisions. Um, I was at a conference in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, spoke, same thing. Um, folks from New Hampshire, same exact thing. The activists are again and again trying to stop the infrastructure, the pipeline projects. Um, so really, um, if, if you look at the, where the activists are going now, the two main issues they're fighting with now are, number one, the development of natural resources on federal lands. So that's the keeping the ground movement. But the other issue is the pipelines and midstream development um, space around the oil and natural gas industry. So that's what we really need to keep our eyes on because that part of the equation actually has economic impacts um, to the industry, and they know that. So it's, it's, it's really kind of appalling. We're talking with Jackie Stewart, and she writes for energyindepth.org, Ohio. <clears throat> and so um, picking that up, you know, I, I was surprised when um, I read through your article that you were able to find all these quotes from Obama administration officials that were actually <laughs> common sense, you know, n- normal, logical quotes about energy, and I couldn't believe it. So for those of you who are listening, who are green activists, green sympathizers or, you know, your teenage daughter's been co-opted by these people and you need some talking points? Okay, listen to this. This is Sally Jewell, Secretary of the Interior for Barack Obama. She says this, 
quote, we are a nation that continues to be dependent on fossil fuels, it oversimplifies a very complex situation to suggest that one could simply cut off leasing or drilling on public lands and solve the issue of climate change. You can't just cut it off overnight and expect to have an economy that is, in fact, the leader of the world. She added, most of you burned fossil fuels one way or another to get here. And I'm like, wow, can you believe it? And, you know, and also the Obama administration's um, EPA has found, as you mentioned a minute ago, that there's no systemic contamination of groundwater um, due to fracking. And in the studies that I saw, it wasn't about fracking. Any contamination they could find was from faulty constructed uh, construction of, you know, like tubular casings, like wellhead stuff, not fracking. And so, you know, time and time again, the administration actually has spoken in a way that seems halfway sensible on these issues. And yet this cuts no ice with the keep it in the ground movement, the Bernie Sanders people, the Guardian people. So what do you think is going to happen in Ohio? I mean, they're dealing with the federal agency here after all. I mean, I know that they came in and tried to pass local frack bans all over the state. What's interesting is that in Athens, Ohio, which is, I think, in the center of the Wayne National Forest, that's down in my part of Ohio, that's where they passed a local fracking ban with like 78% of the vote because they were right there in the middle of Ohio University. So these kids are easily, you know, easily influenced and probably not stakeholders in the community just like Denton, Texas. But, you know, that's, that's what I was asking earlier is what, what constitutes success for these people? Because they must be thinking that the federal government is a better target because if you actually win with them, you affect a lot more land, frankly. So I'm not, I'm not clear on what they're after in Ohio. Well, I got to tell you, um, you're going to want to watch what happens in Ohio a little more closely. I'm going to tell you why. Because this debate over the Wayne National Forest may be the first time ever where you've had an uprising of landowners and property rights folks that have literally come out of the woodwork um, and are just overwhelmingly upset about what is happening to this debate. And that's why there were, I mean, letters came in from elected officials, local, all the way up to federal, thousands of letters of support believe it or not, for drilling in the Wayne National Forest flooded the Bureau of Land Management. And, 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 here, and here's the important point. And this is what I think, I think folks really need to pay attention to and really need to watch what's going on in Ohio. Because if the Bureau of Land Management decides um, this month, actually, it's the, this month they will decide on what the next, what the state is going to be of leasing in the Wayne National Forest. If the Bureau of Land Management decides they're going to move forward with leasing, do you know why I think that will be? I think it's going to be because for the first time, the people that support oil and gas have not been the silent majority. They stood up and they fought back to these, these out-of-state, out-of-touch activists and said, enough is enough. We're not, going to, we're not going to put up with this anymore. Right. And... I, I, I've heard um, from the Bureau of Land Management that the letters of support that came in for leasing actually surpassed the activists this time around. So, right. so, so my message is this. We can, we can actually fight back against these people. We can't. But people cannot take the they, – they can't just 
you know, just say, oh, you know, oh, those are those crazy kids at Ohio University or, you know, that's just that small group of people that, you know, nobody pays attention to them anyway. That's not true. They do. And if you support the industry, if you support the jobs, the millions of tax dollars that have come into your community, it's time. You, you need to stand up and, and fight for your property rights and fight for the American energy independence. Um, it's, you know, this is an election year. You can let your voice be heard through your, the way you vote, um, voting for energy and voting at all, at all levels, you know, from your local city council person all the way up. So I, I would say that, you know, this is one of those issues and this is one of those isolated situations where if, if we can, if we can cause some systemic, uh, uh, the potential for some, some systemic change just by giving the agency the opportunity to hear the other side of support, then maybe, just maybe, we can start you know, changing the direction of the way this country has been going with these out-of-state and international campaigns that have, that have come upon us recently. Well, and we have to all take account of the fact that this is not just business as usual. You cannot take Mm-mm. it for granted that you're just going to be able to continue to produce um, on your own land for crying out loud because we're in a different era. Like there was kind of like the OPEC era that went from 1960 up until really the present. And this cartel controlled everything. And then out of nowhere in the mid 2000s, last decade, came the U.S. frackers and really changed the whole dynamic because now, you know, they're going to have a hard time keeping their prices jacked up, you know, competing with the efficiency of U.S. shale, which improves all the time. So for the first time ever, OPEC and Russia are having to worry. Well, not the first time ever in history. I'm just saying in, in our lifetimes, the, the paradigm has changed because of the technological revolution in the production of energy in this country. So these hostile countries, and by the way, there's always going to be a bad actor somewhere in the leadership of those countries that doesn't mind, you know, just uh, stirring up the strife uh, and enmity uh, within our communities to try to bring down one of our top industries that on, on which really the rest of the economy sits. So that's what's going on. This is something new. This is not the 1980s. It's not the 1990s. It's a brand new day. So really, Jackie Stewart in Ohio, we owe you a debt of gratitude because it's people like you at Energy In Depth Ohio who are doing what you can to mobilize these people and to educate the Buckeye State to make sure they know what in the heck is really going on and, and who's coming after them and coming at them and why. So I really don't know that there's anyone else out there doing that, Jackie. So really, you're the people we have to thank for the turnaround there, for sure. So that's great work. Thank you. Yeah, we, we spend a lot, you know, that, that's what our organization is all about. I mean, you're, you know, we, we're supported by the Independent Petroleum Association of America, America but I got to tell you, I mean, we're not lobbyists here, you know. I mean, our stuff is, is researched. Um, everything we put out there is, is legit. You can click on these links and see for yourself what's going on. And knowledge is power. And, and with, especially with this issue, with what we're seeing with the Wayne National Forest and the Keep It in the Ground movement, as I've been traveling all over the state, speaking with people about this issue and educating them, you know, my mission has been, here are the facts. And if you care about American energy independence, if you care about your property rights, then you will not sit idly by any longer. You need to get involved in one way or another. If this is important to you, you need to get involved. 
and now is the time. And, um, you know, and we, and we've seen, we've seen folks do that and they've responded because Ohio has been a tremendous success story. Um, you know, just last year we saw a 96% increase in shale related jobs come into the state. It's incredible. I mean, Monroe County saw a 360% increase in their sales tax revenue. That's now, real money for, that? for, for the, the most, the highest unemployment um, county in the state of Ohio. Um, these turnaround stories are very real, and the people who live and work here feel it. They know that it's been a positive impact. And um, like I said, it, you know, we, we, just, we just simply cannot let these, um, these special interest groups uh, control our, our narrative any longer. We can't do it. And, and people are they're starting to fight back, so it's a good thing. We're talking with Jackie Stewart, and she writes for energyindepth.org, Ohio. Please go check it out. You need to follow Jackie. She writes really good stuff. I read almost everything she writes. We talk about just about everything she writes, too, I think. And she is one of our top guests when it comes to knowing about these phony anti-fracking movements that are springing up all over the country. Not just in Ohio. Believe me, it's kind of a cookie-cutter thing. Uh, it's happening all over. It's happened all over Texas. It's happening in Colorado. It's, if, you're, if you're in an energy state, well, at least one that, that fracks, it's coming to your state. And maybe if, even if you don't frack, my gosh, Florida is covered with it. So, Jackie, thank you so much. We appreciate your insight. And I'm going to have you back to update us on this story as it develops. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate the time. Really do. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jackie Daly Show. Join us online, JackieDaly.com, on Facebook and on Twitter, at Jackie Daly Show. And on demand at iTunes.com, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher.com. We'll be back. listening to the Jackie Daly show. Join us online jackiedaily.com, on Facebook and on Twitter at Jackie Daly show. And now 24 hours a day, 7 days a week on itunes.com, soundcloud.com and stitcher.com. Listen, words really matter. The words that we use really really matter and it shapes our thoughts. Words shape our thoughts. This is so serious and and so underappreciated by the clear-thinking people of the world that the non-clear-thinking people of the world have pushed out this political correctness movement that has gone just off off the hinges, off the edge. And it's to the point that now we have speech codes everywhere and safe spaces on universities. We just had Nick Adams out to speak to my think tank not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. Um, on his book, Crushing Political Correctness. And he is an Australian, and he was basically commenting that it's, it's really uh, depressing to see this happening in America because we are, we are sort of the, the cornerstone of free speech on Earth, I think. Certainly we're, we're running way past Europe uh, on free speech and Canada, and yet this is what we see. Well, the thing to understand about the political correctness movement is that the folks who crafted that are very, very smart people. Most of them were hardcore left-wing PhDs 
starting you know generations ago or at least decades ago coming up with ways to try to change people's thinking on issues you know the show is about energy energy is no different and not exempted whatsoever the words that we use when we talk about energy policy when we hear the militant green movement coming up with their many different um <laughs> you know misnomers uh trying to basically you know defame energy producers and the energy that builds this country on which the whole economy is built they want you to believe the things that are good or bad listen energy has suffered probably as much as any sector uh, from this. And so, believe it or not, uh, there's actually a film coming out that understands this problem and that tries to zone in on what's going on in the manipulation of the energy energy debate and, and basically decoding it for you and, and teaching you how you can speak more accurately, more clearly, more powerfully and defeat the distortion of concepts with words. Okay, this is a, this is a documentary called Fractured. Fractured. It's by Mark Mathis. And when, when we say fractured, he's obviously talking or, or playing off the word fracturing, like hydraulic fracturing or fracking, except we're not going to say fracking. We're going to say fractured right now. Uh, and the subtitle is Language Lies in Energy. Fractured Language Lies in Energy. And joining us to talk about this new film is the maker, Mark Mathis. Mark, welcome to the Jackie Daly Show. Jackie, it's a great pleasure to be with you again. Absolutely. We enjoyed hearing about your first film, Spoiled, which debunks the idea that we are addicted to oil and actually spells out all the great ways that oil improves our lives and ensures that we don't live in the dark ages. Um, So this is your brand new project that you're going to be rolling out soon. Well, the the name, you know, we, we as you mentioned, Jackie, the name uh, sort of you know connects to the biggest controversial issue um, in the public today: hydraulic fracturing. But uh, the title really speaks to this idea that our understanding of our relationship to energy is fractured, and it's fractured because of the words and the terms and the phrases that we use that many of us who are, uh, understand the importance of energy in our lives, we use these terms as well. And yes, we don't we realize do. that uh, by using them and not thinking about the words that we're saying, we're actually advancing the cause of people who are anti-energy activist groups, people who are punishing the public, uh, punishing states, uh, by with their their agendas, uh, and they're, they're, we're, we're helping them to do that because of the uh, deceptive language that we use. Now, so it, people would not find this obvious. Explain the words that you find to be deceptive and why they are deceptive, because I was surprised by what was on the list. Yeah, it's, uh, so I'll start with one of the ones that, uh, that really gets people and, and thinking. And that's this common phrase, we've all used it so many times, fossil fuel. And so I, I'll, I'll say that and people will say, well, what's wrong with fossil fuel? I don't understand. Well, okay, let's break the word down, fossil and fuel. 
first word fossil, when you hear that, what do you think? What do you think? I, um, I think of dead plants and animals. Right, exactly. And most people, just like that, they, they'll think dinosaurs, dead plants. This is from you know, ages ago. And you know, by extension, this really doesn't have a lot of relevance to your life. Anything that's a fossil, this is, a, this is an age-old thing, and it's not really pertinent to what we're doing today. Uh, that's not a, that is the opposite of what uh, oil, gas, and coal are. They are the most relevant things in all of our lives. Uh, there's nothing else, no physical thing that's more relevant to everything that we do in life today than oil, gas, and coal. So that term fossil is really ridiculous. It doesn't fit at all. Then the second term is fuel. And Okay, so fuel is a pretty good descriptor of, yeah, okay, well, and that's what most people think. Gasoline in the tank, or they might think of a ship or a plane or a train. Um, so that is a, but it's a partial uh, descriptor. And nowhere near um, a full descriptor of what this incredibly valuable resource does. So, uh, so what uh, words would you suggest instead? If, instead of saying fossil fuels, what do you say? I have talked about this, this acronym, this term that I think should have been used, should have been created and used you know, decades and decades ago, that is a full descriptor of what fossil fuels mean or should mean. And that's, and the acronym is TechMap. So that's transportation, uh, electricity, cooking, heating, manufacturing, agriculture, and products. That it gives you the scope of what we use these energy resources for. And so my, and the point in doing all of this and explaining this is that as people who are anti-coal, oil, and gas, and nuclear power as well, um, as they come out and say, well, we've got to get off of fossil fuels. And, and you hear this every day. Fossil fuels are bad. We've got to get off of them, do new stuff. Um, so first of all, there really isn't any new stuff, so they're, they're, that's a big mirage. Um, but if when people hear that, they accept it, and they just say, oh, okay, yeah, and they agree with it, not understanding that, no, if, if we ditch these resources, which provide virtually everything, you throw in nuclear power, and you're talking you know, high 90s of, of the energy sources that we use, there really isn't you know, wind and solar combined only provide roughly 2% of our overall energy needs. And, and those resources would not exist without uh, oil, gas, and coal. So right. by sort of trashing, trying to um, call attention to this deceptive phrase, fossil fuel, and saying tech map, we're, we're, we're getting people to understand the scope of what these resources do, and they then know wow, no, we're not. Uh, these things aren't bad for starters, and there's, there's no possible way that we're getting off of them. And we don't need to anyway. We're talking with Mark Mathis, and he is the maker of the film Fractured, Language, Lies, and Energy.
We're talking with Mark Mathis, and he is the maker of the film Fractured, Language, Lies, and Energy. Okay, now you also do not like the terms alternative energy and clean energy and green energy. Now, we, I, I struggle all the time because I, I, as soon as I you know, saw that, even on the back of your um, you know, video description, I knew exactly what you were getting at. It's very hard to describe that grouping of, you know, in vogue, you know, new uh, so-called renewable or green energy. So how do you do it? What would you call it? So we can start with alternative energy, and there's actually two different ways to look at that. When you say alternative, okay, I'm going to add the, my alternative to one thing is that I'm going to use something else. That's a, that's a real alternative. Well, uh, the renewable energy sources... Uh, you know, wind and solar and biomass and others, they're not alternatives because you can't use them standalone right. by themselves. Right. They require uh, base load power energy sources, coal, oil, and gas, in order for them to function at all because, you know, it requires these energy sources for, for uh, technology, for manufacturing, transportation, maintenance. They don't even exist anyway. So, so those aren't true alternative energy sources. They are supplemental to right. what we already do. Right. Um, and so the, the other thing that I point people to when it comes to alternative energy is that we actually, there is actually um, a class of energy sources that we use today that are truly alternative energy sources. And those are oil, gas, and coal. And the, the reason they're alternatives is because before we started exploiting them uh, on, on scale, where we could completely dramatically um, change our lives, we operated human beings on carbohydrate energy. Right, <laughs> right. Forever. I mean, from the beginning of time until we started exploiting these resources, we used carbohydrates. So that was the food that we ate, the food that our animals, that our work animals like ox and horse, that they ate. Uh, you know, we had used wood for uh, building homes and, and businesses and that sort of thing. But it was all a carbohydrate-based energy um, environment for all human beings. And the alternative to that, and that lifestyle, short lives, difficult, lots of extremely hard manual labor. And as soon as we started exploiting these alternatives to that labor-intensive way of living is how we transformed our society into the astonishing uh, world that we live in today that, that nobody who lived 150 years ago would even, could even believe exists in the way that it does. And let's not miss that point that once upon a time before there was industrialization, we powered ourselves and our work animals on carbohydrates. Now we fuel our machines with hydrocarbons. When I say hydrocarbon, people who listen to this show know what I'm talking about. We're talking about oil gas, right? We're talking about what, what Mark will not call fossil fuels. Right. <laughs> we will not call it. We're talking about tech map for crying yeah, out loud. Right. Now, now, Mark, you also do not like the word mother or the, the term mother nature. Why not? Well, that's a funny one. And that's a, it's a, a wonderful segment in the film where we go after this, uh, uh, this term mother. That is one of the most positively charged words in the human language. I mean, we think of mothers you know, we sort of mentally picture a mother who's, who's you know, coddling a, an infant, uh, providing, you know, food and shelter and uh, protection uh, so that the, 
the toddler can, can the infant can grow up and become an adult. Uh, you know, mothers just loving and and so helpful, wonderful. All these descriptors that you could use for for mother. Well, when we apply that to nature, that is absolutely crazy because nature wants you dead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it wants to kill you in all these different forms. So it wants to, you know, in you know, wild animals or or all weather with hurricanes and and tornadoes and earthquakes and uh, monsoons, everything you can imagine weather-wise. And it wants to kill you with viruses, with bad food, with uh, all, all kinds of things that are out there that, that, are, that are nature. That's how nature wants to kill you. And what we do as human beings is we use these energy resources, oil, gas, coal, uranium, hydropower. We, we have transformed these energy resources so that we can create a bubble for ourselves to uh, shield us from nature, to protect us from nature. Because nature is one wild, crazy woman, and she wants to kill you. So we use energy to protect us. So, so using that terminology, mother nature, is completely wrong. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's something that we, and this is where the energy thing comes in, as I mentioned, is that we use energy to protect ourselves from nature. No question. Well, and I had a guest on the show who pointed out that for most of human history, human beings spent their time praying to the climate gods to spare them, right? So you're yeah. praying to, you know, the god of the sea, and then you're praying to the god of thunder, and then you're praying to the god of something else. And we're talking about climate. Yeah. We're talking about weather because it's deadly. And, uh, and it's one of the greatest fears of mankind. Oh, rain uh, dances. Rain know? dances. I mean, this That's is the right. way human beings have always, you know, looked at nature. And this is a, a powerful force that can be incredibly destructive to your life and, and, and kill you. And so human beings for, you know, millennia uh, tried to somehow, some way manipulate nature in the form of praying to a nature god or gods. Uh, because it was that destructive. Well, then we found hydrocarbons, and now we can completely shelter ourselves uh, from this threat that used to be, you know, when the people landed, uh, you know, at Plymouth Rock, when we first came over from Europe, I mean, most of those people died, and they died because of whom? Mother Nature. It was so incredibly cold, uh, and they didn't have the, you know, the protection that they needed. That, that we just absolutely take for granted. Well, and as you say, when it comes to protecting yourself from Mother Nature, we're talking about things like building shelter, which is homes. You only build homes with, uh, with oil, gas, coal, hydrocarbons, or nuclear. Uh, you know, you need electricity, you need materials, so you're talking about the most fundamental energy forms. Or if you're talking about protecting yourself from, um, you know, sickness that comes from exposure, or, uh, or bacteria, whatever, you're talking about pharmaceuticals, and guess what? That, that, too, is derived from hydrocarbons. People don't realize that their prescription drugs they take every day are brought to you by oil, gas, you know? I mean, you know, things that are very fundamental start in the most basic form and turn into everything that I'm looking at in this studio. Everything. Everything. Th- everything. So, so one other a term, a new term that, that you've never heard before that we introduce in the film is a term called 70 degrees of separation. 
And we, we, it's a play off this idea of six degrees of separation, that all human beings are separated by only six relationships uh, to other people on the planet. Um, Seventy degrees of, of, of separation is, is how we live. We uh, like to, to work in an office, a building, that is that the temperature is just right. It's not, a little, it's not too hot, it's not too cold. You know, it is just right. And then we get in our cars, and we expect the same kind of comfort. And even when we go out into nature, uh, if, if you like to ski, what do you do? Well, you, you completely clothe yourself in jackets and, and all this gear, uh, virtually all of which is made from oil. And you, you, know, you, you, know, you ski, and then you go to the, to the clubhouse, uh, no, to, the ski, to the ski lodge. And that, too, shelters you from nature. Or if it's a hot day, you're wearing clothing that protects you from this, you know, this, the heat. Most of that clothing is made using especially modern fabrics, using oil. Uh, and we use suntan lotion. You know, we put up umbrellas. Everywhere we go and everything we do, we are constantly trying to uh, use this bubble of protection from nature. And we do that through primarily, almost exclusively, uh, oil, gas, and coal. We're talking with Mark Mathis, and he is the maker of the film Fractured, Language, Lies, and Energy. Mark, in addition to taking these terms that we use, really dangerous, deceptive terms, one by one, you also expose the unethical tactics used by federal bureaucrats who undermine U.S. energy production and their collaboration with activists. Tell us about their collaboration with Big Green. What do we, what's, what's a preview of what we can learn in your film? Well, we, we hit um, several different issues, but uh, one of the ones that's a, a big problem is, is called secret science. So, secret science? Secret science. Okay. And what that is is that the EPA, using federal tax dollars, our money, uh, has a study done. They commission a study on different things. So they're, you know, one of the things that they're most focused on is air, so clean air policy. Uh, and so this clean power plan that just came out that's now being you know, seriously challenged and should be is based on only two studies. Um, We're talking with Mark Mathis, and he is the maker of the film Fractured, Language, Lies, and Energy. 